With The Shape of Water, French composer Alexandre Desplat counts nine Oscar nominations for Best Original Score. He's already won one for the Grand Budapest Hotel. We talk with him today about working with director Guillermo del Toro on his Cold War sea creature romance on Crew Call. I want to go way back to the beginning. Um, That's a long time ago. Tell us... Tell us about how film composing found you. I, I know that you've always been fascinated with film scores. I think Star Wars, correct me if I'm wrong, was a big mm -hmm. inspiration. Mm -hmm. But tell me about the beginning uh, back in France and, and just getting and breaking into film scoring in the French film industry. I think we can go even further, further back. It's my parents being students in Berkeley, California. Um, for five years, getting married there and uh, coming back to France, having children in France, and raising their three kids in the uh, with the memory of, of California uh, and with the belongings they had here, from uh, Russell Wright uh, kitchenware to uh, to records. And in the records, there were many soundtracks, like George Dunning's soundtrack of Cowboy or. Uh, um, you know, various uh, jazz records that my, my father would listen to. So I was raised already with a kind of fantasy of what California should be, which is a kind of promised land for, 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 for any traveler. Um, and then I became a, a cinephile when I was, I don't know, between 13 and, and, and until now. Uh, I, was, I was just passionate about cinema and the way you would enter a, uh, a theater and and the story would be told to you and keep you in in your childhood somehow so i guess childhood is very important in my in the way i become i became a, a film composer and so just by, by listening to the music in the films i started collecting soundtracks that's where it all started. I realized that I could listen to this music aside from the classical or the jazz that I was listening at the time and learning as a flutist um, at the conservatory. I could listen to music that were so different from very different type of movies. The large scope, you know, from, from Spartacus to, uh, uh, to a Mancini score, a Quincy Jones score, or Star Wars, all these things that were so wide in range of, of expression that I, I was excited about that, that you could, and also the, there was something very, there is something about cinema and movie soundtracks that is very, very, very um, pedagogic. You can, I mean, it, it passes along a culture. I, I had friends who could never listen to Prokofiev or, or Stravinsky, but they could listen to John Williams. And I thought, well, how come? I mean, John Williams has has di digested all this music of the early 20th century, and they love it. So, and and I've actually brought some friends to listen to uh, uh, 20th century music just through uh, the, the soundtracks of John Williams. So, I really, I was really excited by that, and and that's where it all started. So, the flute was your first instrument. It was yes. Now, well, it's, it's a flute. No, it's not the first instrument, but it's an instrument that chose to become the instrument of virtuosity that I really practiced. Now, were there any flute scores that caught your attention? There was one, um, a Japanese movie called Naked Island.
which the theme was playing on the flute. And my sisters had, my older sisters, I was very young, and, and they had they had the, the 45 uh, vinyl, and they would play it again and again. Um, so I think that was the first one. But also, I also had a lot of Mozart, and there were you know, some flute concertos, like the flute and harp concerto that I would that I would play when I was at home as a, as a child. And I guess it influenced me also a lot to pick that instrument. And in your canon, were were there opportunities for you to play flute, or to say to a director, "I think we should go with a flute-driven score"? Have, have you ever been able? Well, I've been able many times. Go <laughs> uh, with the pearl earring is the, is maybe the, the most uh, shiny one because it's the one that brought me to to the states through uh, the first Golden Globe nomination. Um, but since then, I've I've used it quite often. You know, like in Birth, uh, there's four flutes. You know, playing this repetitive motif, uh, and and the latest on Shape of Water. There's twelve flutes. So I, uh, hey, it's an instrument that I, I cherish, and, and it might be the woodwind that I cherish the most. And many a times, I. Cut down the, the woodwind section in my scores, and sometimes just keep the flutes, and that's what I've done on Ship of Water. Only the flutes. There's no oboe, no clarinets, no bassoons. Tell me, tell me about your first opportunities in the French film industry. How did it, how did it happen? Was it, were they, were they friends that you knew, uh, on the first titles that you worked with? How did, how did everything? It start. It started. It all started with theater. I, I wrote a lot of, of stage music, and uh, and the very first I wrote was for a, a Shakespeare adaptation of Romeo and Juliet for clowns. So it's a clown company, and uh, and I was asked by the uh, the main uh, guy of this company if I knew a composer that could write the music of his of his uh, show, and I said I could do it, and um, so I wrote. I wrote the music, and it was for flute, of course, clarinet, trombone, and tuba, which is a quite, you know, strange combination, but very versatile. And and I could make write very virtuoso uh, pieces for the flute and the clarinet. And then uh, one of the actors of that uh, stage of that of that uh, play that we were playing on stage every night um, had just shot shot a, a short movie, and he asked me to write the music, and he said, "I want a big Hollywood." kind of score, like Steiner or, you know, type of score. And I said, of course, I know that music very well. I, I can do that. And of course, I wrote something very bad. <laughs> I brought in all my friends uh, for free in a studio because we had no money. It was a short movie. And uh, and that tape brought me to another guy and to another guy and to another. And, and here I am. Now, I know it, it's probably the girl with the pearl earring, but when Hollywood embraced you was birth. Mm-hmm. Talk about those two films as changing everything and, and bringing you over here. Because in my head, from birth on, you've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's wonderful. How did those two opportunities come to you? And tell us about how everything changed at that point. Um, the Girl, Girl with the Pearl Earring was my 50th feature film. Um, so I was not a... a, a a new composer. I was already forty something in my early forties, and um, uh, before I had worked with a, a very very good French director, director called Jacques Audiard, uh, who I wrote all the scores, um, and 
one of them, one of his films called Read My Lips, Sur Mes Lèvres, had been around quite a, a bit and, and many directors in Europe had heard or watched the, the score, watched the film. And the director of God with a Red Ring was looking for a score. And it was the same produ production company, Pathé. And um, so they gave to this director a few uh, DVDs to watch because he couldn't find his composer. Because all the composers he, he met wanted to write a score you know, in, in the genre of the 17th century music. And he didn't want that. And uh, he heard what I'd done for uh, Read My Lips, with it, which is a very uh, restrained score for strings, um, and in which the, the, the lead character is a woman who, who's deaf. And of course, the music is very, you know, full of silence. There is pause between some music phrases. And, and he liked that. He liked that I was, I could, he could hear something restrained. And when we spoke together, I said, no, I don't want to write anything. Um, of the period, I want to do something of my own, and he—that's where we started to care with the power. And then Jonathan Glazer contacted me. Uh, not long after that, and I was very excited about the project. And I remember saying to him, um, um, I, "I'd like to do it because I, you know, I can't play you anything that that would be right because I have not yet written a, a score for a movie by Jonathan Glazer with Nicole Kidman." Uh, that made that made him laugh. That I was honest to say that. And I said, "Of course, I know what I'm going to write. It would be marvelous." I, I had no clue what I was going to write, and I. I, I still had, don't have any clue of what I'm going to write for the next film until I've seen it and until I've, I've you know, slept with him. I mean, slept physically uh, in my bed, sleeping and dreaming of it, you know, uh, and then embraced it and, and, and tried and, and dig deep into the film to find its soul. Uh, and so we worked on, it was very, very fast. Uh, in 48 hours, the score was written almost. Because once I had clicked the opening sequence of birth, every single element of that uh, opening is actually in the film, is in the score. Uh, there's nothing new after that. It's all it's all there. In and, this, and you this wrote opening. that in two days. Oh, the opening! No, the opening I wrote in 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 two hours, but but <laughs> but the the concept took forty eight hours, and I I keep saying to to young composers. Uh, writing music for film is not just watching the film and throwing music to the film. It's thinking about it and 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 you know scratching your head and and as I said just before, digging deep into the film to find what is the film about and what the music can bring that is not yet in front of you. Now, coming to Hollywood, was that, and, 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 and going, because you worked on huge movies, mm -hmm. Godzilla, um, you took over Harry Potter, mm -hmm. um, did you, was it a big shock in terms of, I want to say, and I'm jumping to a conclusion here, the politics of everything? Because 
you're there in the, you know, they, they cut the film, they put the score with it, and then you have a bunch of studio executives may not know it, who may not know anything about music, nitpicking at it. Talk about this. Well, it's a, it's a big difference. In France, the director is the master from A to Z. Nobody interferes. He has the power. So you, you have your relationship with the director and you deal with it and he deals with you. Um, the difference here is that it's not, he doesn't have the power. He has some power, but producers also have power. And you have to learn that when you start working in Hollywood. I had to learn. Um, I was advised at the time by a manager called Bobby Urband, who was a marvelous advisor, because when I arrived here, of course I was excited. I wanted to do big movies, because it's Hollywood. You want to do big movies. And he said, no, 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 you're not ready. You have to wait. You have to learn first. And that was a very good lesson. So for a few years, you know, I, I did Birth and I did other, I did Syriana, I did some other, you know, smaller type movies in terms of big budget and, and huge pressure. And um, it, it allowed me to learn and understand the process that, yes, it's not just the director, it's many other voices that you have to hear, understand, transcode, and then adapt to your music. If, it, if a producer says, oh, you know what, these eight bars I don't like anymore, you have, to, you have to deal with it and you have to change it. And it's right away because the orchestra is sitting there. So I just learned that to work even faster, to understand faster. Uh, yes, I think my brain is, is 10 times faster than when I was uh, uh, starting here. Tell us about how you work and where you work. David and I have gone on a number of these composer interviews, and we've literally met composers who are sleeping in their studios, and uh, and other composers like Michael Giacchino, who have a very definite day of eight to five or eight to six, nine to five, with lunch break, which fascinates me because to me, I always thought film composing is this kind of a hundred and twenty-eight hour job, especially toward the end and um, with, with sleepless nights. How is it for you? How, how, does it, how does it usually work? And are you just, do you work exclusively in France or do you have a studio here as well? No, I have several studios actually. I have one in Paris, one here, one in Spain. Um, and it's exactly the same. It's a very simple kit. There's one little rack, two computers, three screens, uh, one bigger screen to watch on a larger um, plasma screen. Um, and um, a piano and a keyboard and that's it and a table to write so and it's just me and myself in my studio um, and and the uh, the hours I tend to start very early in the morning and and around um, you know before midnight every day and that's what I do um, I do have I do take a, a lunch break but maybe you know 25 minutes tea included <laughs> Uh, you know, I go running or I do go exercise and, and I'm back to work. But that's what I like. I like to be under that pressure, that trance. And only in that trance can I be eff effective, efficient. I need, I need that, that uh, obsession. Uh, I think I'm at, I'm at the top of my game when I I've have a few movies in a row and my brain is just like a, 
like an orange that was being pressed, 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 pressed. And I, I think I get better there. <laughs> what are you? Otherwise, I'm very lazy. I don't do anything. What are you working on now? What's what's your most immediate? There's design? a new Jacodia movie coming up. Uh, and coming out, there's the new Wes Anderson movie, The Isle of Dogs, which is coming, showing in Berlin in, uh, in 10 days. Can you tease us what that what that sounds like? Because you had your Oscar-winning <laughs> Grand Budapest yes. score was amazing. Thank you. And, and very um, wonderfully Eastern European and mm -hmm. very fun. Mm -hmm. is, is there, what, what's, what's the sound in, in Isle of This Dogs? one is, is very Japanese because it's set in Japan. But aside from the drumming, there's no Japanese instruments. It's uh, uh, a bunch of saxophones of <laughs> the whole family of saxophones, um, some recorders, some male voices. It's a very, <laughs> very out there, strange sound again. Um, but that's what I like with Wes. He's, uh, he wants to explore. He wants to try and bring a sound which is completely uh, an unex you know, unexpected. It's in Japan and there's some Japanese sound, but the rest is completely weird. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. Does he know exactly what he wants, or is he very much just go give me something crazy and come back. No, he come he comes with uh, with some you know some kind of a, a roadmap and uh, from that roadmap I I submit you know I, su I suggest I bring I bring you know hours of music and and from that from that he picks and chooses what he wants uh, this melody this motif and you know we put it together. Tell me about meeting uh, Guillermo. Mm -hmm. um, I'm out, out of curiosity. I know that he was a producer on Rise of the Guardians, that yes. DreamWorks animated film. Mm -hmm. Was it there that you met him? Yes, I met him at the screening at the time. Uh, he said he liked my music in general, and, and then I didn't see him again. And then he produced another uh, animation called Troll Hunters, a series, and he asked me if I would be happy through Christina Steinberg, um, who was the person who introduced us. Uh, he asked me if I would... Um, write the uh, main titles or a few themes, and I did. We recorded with the LSO, and he liked it very much, and uh, well, that was it. And then at some time later, he, he said he had a project that was very uh, personal and strange uh, about an amphibian man, and said, OK, let me know. And time went by, and, and maybe two years ago, we, um, we had sushi together, and he said, I want to talk to you about fish. And about an amphibian man and uh, who f and, and, and the love story between this man and a, and a cleaning lady. So he sent me a script, which was very, very, very good, very precise, very, very clear. You could follow the storyline with accuracy. And I, he showed me the film last January, and I was in awe by the beauty of it. Now, there's, there's a lot of music in it. Mm -hmm. like wall, wall to wall. Tell me about how both of you arrived at that because certain directors are, you know, it's one, I think it's a composer's dream when you can do that, when you have the liberty to write all those cues. But at the same time, 
there are other directors that are of the mindset, oh, we, you know, only certain moments for music. Tell me about working with him. Well, what, what happens in the film, you have the sensation that it's wall-to-wall, -wall, but it's not wall-to-wall. -wall. It's wall-to-wall -wall because there are all these other moments of musicals that you hear through TV or through the record player that she's playing to the, to the creature. So the music is somehow always present. And the other element is the fact that the way I, 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 I orchestrated and wrote the, the, the music is very organic. I wanted it to sound um, like if it was coming from outside, outside from from the film itself. Um, there's no modern instruments. There's no electronic. The only instrument that maybe is, is contemporary is the electric piano, the Fender piano. That's all there is. The rest is all very, very organic. Like if it could have been played on a record player at the time, 1962. Um, so, and and the, and the orchestration doesn't change through the film, except at one moment when there's a long chase, a long escape, nine-minute piece, where the orchestra gets bigger. brings colors that you would hear in a 1950s, 60s score, you know, bongos and congas and, and the brass. But before that and after that, the orchestration is the same. Even with the song that is sung by Rene Fleming, the cover of Harry, Harry Warren, You'll Never Know, is also with the same orchestration. So there's a continuity to it that you will feel, uh, you know, subliminally the audience doesn't pay attention but so it seems flawless because of that and the main the main theme there's there's a whistling mm -hmm. what is is that literally it's a whistle it's, it's me whistling yes oh wow mm -hmm. okay that's me yeah. oh that's beautiful <laughs> And then it sounds like it's coming through water. Mm -hmm. And then the other beautiful thing is, you know, even though it, it th there are aspects that remind me a bit of Bernard Herrmann, it's a very it felt very French. It, 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 I mean, it, it, was that was that in, was that intentional? It, well, I, I guess that. Um... Guillermo, like many of the directors I've worked with actually in, in, in America, love the Nouvelle Vague, they love Truffaut and Godard, and therefore they like the, direct, the composers of the time, um, Maurice Jarre, of course, who was then a great uh, Hollywood composer, but Georges Delerue, who also came here. Um, and they, they had... Maurice Jarre could, could write large, evocative orchestral scores but before that in France he would write some very quirky uh, complex orchestrated waltzes you know um, and Georges Delerue also wrote a lot of waltzes very 
with very often the flute as a main instrument. The strings were playing with warmth and a restrained uh, emotion. They were never, never schmaltzy, rarely going to the high register when they were playing a theme. And, and I think that's what he meant when he said he wanted to do something that was French. Um, and, and also, by the way, I orchestrated keeping the strings not at the front, but in the background. The flutes are playing the theme. The whistle is playing the theme, and and the accordion is playing. So an accordion sounds for some people French. To me, it doesn't sound French. To me, it sounds Italian, German, uh, French, Chinese. Because there's an accordion in every country. There's a, a Mexican. But what I did is because I wanted the um, the creature to have a sound from South America, I chose on the accordion of the great French player. A, 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 position where the sound is like a Bundanian. So the phrasing, because I wrote phrases, and the sound is sound, sound actually more like, like a South American accordion and not a French accordion. So it's a mix of many things that altogether can sound a bit French, but it's also because I'm French, I suppose. How long did it take to write? You said you said you met with him two years ago, but the, oh, the, the score. No, no, the actual score I started writing in April. And we recorded in uh, end of May or something, early June, sometime, in London with the London Symphony. Was there a challenging moment for you in 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 writing the score? Was the, there any particular sequence, like you had mentioned, things change up during that chase scene? Yeah, well, actually, the the the, the, the chase, I knew, I knew, I knew, it was a big, big baby to to take care of, and but I, I preferred to leave it aside until the end. Because once I had all the themes, I knew I could, you know, use them in that long chase, and it was more a technical uh, work than than a creative work. The creative work was before trying to find all the themes, the instrumentation, and most importantly, the opening sequence of the film, where this camera is underwater and you 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 enter the world of the fa fairy tale with Richard Jenkins's voice. Uh, preparing you to enter this world. And the incredible thing about that sequence is that after 30 seconds during the film, you believe in it, you're, you're drawn into it. And I wanted the music to, to be part of that, of that role. And so the sound that I was mentioning, these flutes, the electric piano, uh, the whistle, it all brings you into a very, at the same time, innocent, warm, um, a bit tragic and and love story like um, environment um, with a sense of longing of of danger but at the same time played very softly so we, it's this offering sequence that was the most challenging trying to find how the audience would be you know buying the journey and is Guillermo was is it like working with Wes where he has an idea of music, or is he is he more specific? Does he, or like, or do, no. do most are most directors open? He's to, he's, to... he's 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 more um, on the open side. Yes, he he wants me to surprise him with ideas. With with uh, and if I say maybe here the music is not necessary or this shouldn't be this is not the right music here because you're telling me you want to put some jazz here, but. I, it would kill the, uh, the the pressure on, on on the audience for this moment, and you know I I'm the last one to see the film, uh, 
of the whole crew. Because when I come, even the editor has done his job. And uh, even the sound mixer, the sound editors have started working. I'm the last one to to be viewing as a genuine viewer, like an audience would, would do. And and I, I like to keep this distance. So I, I'm fresh, completely fresh. And I can give a, a true uh, feedback to the director. Some director can't hear it. It's never mind. I just have to say it. You know, when I think a scene can be improved or, or reduced or extended, or if the music is useless or, or should be quicker or should be slower, I say it. I might be wrong, and some directors are happy to to try. And Guillermo is of that kind. He's happy to try, and 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 we try. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But at least we try. Um, the other the other thing um, that is wonderful about you is that no, arguably, none of you, you know, your scores. It's not like. Each of them sound exactly like the other one. Yes, certain composers. And I'm not saying that's that they're like you. You could hear Williams in score to score. This is a very distinct score, very different from um, Grand, you know, Grand Budapest Hotel, which is different from Philomena, which is different from Godzilla. Is that intentional on your part? Do the directors is that do the directors come to you and love that the fact that it's something completely organic to the film itself? Maybe that's, I don't know what they love about it. Um, what, what I love about it is that I don't repeat, I try not to read myself. I, I put myself in a, in a dangerous position where uh, each film will be different. And when I, you know, when the curtain opens on this film that I have to score, I need to, I need to find a new, a new chapter in my writing. Of course I use, um, chords and, and melodies that I, I I like and that that part of my DNA but but I try to to be challenged by the subject and the film and the scope of the film uh, you've not you, you'll notice that I don't do four blockbusters in a row or even two I do if I do a blockbuster I tend to keep quiet for a, a while and do uh, you know smaller size movies just to come back to more uh, internal restraint emotion and, and, and uh, uh, state of mind. In closing, um, the biggest piece of advice you could give aspiring composers? Um, Film composers. To be as rich in knowledge of music, as rich in knowledge of cinema, and as rich in knowledge of art and literature in general, because that will allow you to be distant from your work, distant from the film you're watching, and be able to communicate with the director. Because if you don't have all these tools, you'll be limited. And so you have to, to learn about everything all the time. And that's what I try to do in my spare time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Crew Call Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, make sure to subscribe for this and all other Deadline podcasts in the Podcasts app, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next week.